Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. If you didn't bring a Bible today, you can grab one from the chair in front of you. It's good to follow along as we look at this text together. 1 Peter chapter 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Spiritual Leadership is a Sacred Trust. I want you to remember that phrase, a sacred trust. It's not something that you take upon yourself. It's not something that's just given away by those in positions of authority. Spiritual leadership is given to men and women by God himself. It's a sacred trust. It's not something you can take upon yourself. You could, you could say sacred trust, another word for that is a privilege. Serving as a leader in the church is a privilege. Or another word you could use is a stewardship. Now I know we don't use that word very much, but a steward is someone that is in charge of another's goods, uh, another's possessions. So when you think of spiritual leadership as a stewardship, you remember that the church doesn't belong to you. The church isn't yours, it doesn't belong to man, it doesn't belong to an organization. The church belongs to God, was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and all of us belong to him. You could say, as, a, as you call it a sacred trust, you could remember in chapter four of 1 Peter, if you look at verse 10, it says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And remember, a steward being responsible for someone else's goods, remember the responsibility in the Bible, according to Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he says in chapter four, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, and here's the key, moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful that we be found faithful. So when serving God's people is no longer viewed as a privilege or a sacred trust, that's when men have a tendency to corrupt the position of authority. And that's it, men corrupt positions of authority. Women corrupt positions of authority. It's so evident that this is where many go wrong. Some think they just deserve to lead, that it's just theirs by right, somehow that they've earned it. But spiritual leadership like salvation is a gift that's received. It's a gift that's given by God. Uh, Hold your place here. I want you to see this in your Bible. It's so important. Turn over to Psalm 75. I want you to see this when when it comes to spiritual leadership. Psalm 75. I want to draw your attention there to verse 6. Psalm 75, verse 6. So important. I don't want you to forget this. The Bible says, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge, and he puts down one, and he exalts another. It is God's sovereign will and purposes and who he establishes as spiritual leaders in his church. He's the one that puts up, and he's the one that puts down. And I believe that God has always been and is now looking for men and women that are surrendered to him. I mean, think about it. God is looking for pastors, not professionals. 
He's looking for ministers, but not masters. He's looking for shepherds and not servants. He's looking for servants and not lords. You know, as a church, it's not a gathering a crowd that matters. It's very easy to gather a crowd. It's very easy to get people together. It's very easy to promise such and such and everybody shows up. But a man that lays down his life for the flock, a shepherd that follows in the footsteps of Jesus, that's much more rare. The reality when it comes to spiritual leadership, and don't be offended by this at all, it's just the truth. God doesn't need any of us. (laughs) He doesn't need any of us. He chooses to use us, but it's not like we're the only ones in the world that he could use. And he, he, could, get, he could accomplish his will perfectly if he did it himself. <laughs> he could accomplish his will perfectly if he commanded angels to do his bidding, because angels always do his bidding. But by grace, he's chosen to use us. He's condescended down to our level so that we might cooperate with him. It's an honor But if you look back, you look in the mirror and you you look at yourself in spiritual leadership, we can all agree with what Paul told the Corinthians. He looked at the church in Corinth and what did he say in chapter one? For you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but what? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put down, excuse me, to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not, why? To bring to nothing the things that are so that no flesh should glory in his presence. When we come to chapter five, remember the context that Peter, Pastor Peter is writing to a group of hassled, scattered believers under significant, serious persecution. This particular persecution is primarily coming from the government, being blamed for burning down Rome, being blamed for every wrong deed. It's the Christian's fault. And as you read 1 Peter, you must remember that this is counsel, this is encouragement, this is exhortation in the midst of great trial, great unfairness, I mean, how many of us tonight could say, man, what's happening in my life right now, it's not fair. What's happening in my life right now, it's not just. Even some could go so far, it's not the right thing to do, but even some could go so far and say, you know, if I was in charge, I would make it right. When in reality, your view of vengeance is not God's view of vengeance. You know, you think you can make it right, but there'll always be a little bit that you could get ahead, just a little bit more so that you could have the upper hand. That's just the carnality of our flesh. Pastor Peter, as he's winding down his letter, he addresses leadership. And you'll notice in verse one, the elders. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, and then he begins to give in some instruction. So notice, Peter addresses this as an exhortation. You wouldn't expect to be exhorted in the midst of trials, but that's one of the times you need it the most. One of the times when you're not thinking clearly. Trials have a tendency to confuse us. They have a tendency to make us very inward, self-focused. And when you're inward and self-focused, you need a strong word or a strong encouragement. And here they are, they're on the run, they're upset, it's unfair, they've lost everything. And so here he says, you guys that are leaders, you elders, 
I want to exhort you because I too am a fellow elder. Peter delivers this word not as above them, as if he's in some superior authority. He's not over the leaders, but notice he says he's a fellow elder. And unlike a popular teaching within the Roman Catholic Church, Peter does not assert himself as a pope here. He doesn't assert himself as the absolute authority in Christendom because he wasn't then and he isn't now. The position of pope is something that was created by man-made religion. It doesn't exist in the Bible. Even Peter, who is ascribed to be the first pope by the Roman Catholic Church, says here, I'm just one of you guys. I'm a fellow elder. I have a position of leadership just like you. Now the word elder, if you like to write in your Bibles, you can write the Greek word. Remember the New Testament's written in the Greek language? The word here is presbyteros. That may be a familiar word because there are denominations that are known as Presbyterian. We'll get to that in a second, but the Presbyterian church is named that because of the type of leadership they've chosen, and I'll explain those in a second. But next to this word also, you could write the word pastor, you could write the word elder, and you can write the word overseer because the different Greek words that are used in the New Testament to describe those words are all used interchangeably by the Holy Spirit. They're all used interchangeably. The word presbyteros here is a word that describes the man, a mature man. Not necessarily in age, but in spiritual maturity. When Paul writes to Timothy and he speaks about overseer, when he says anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a good work in 1 Timothy 3, that's the Greek word episkopos. And episkopos, again, might sound familiar. Because there's another denomination that described themselves as what? The Episcopal Church. And they are chosen that word because primarily to describe their leadership, the way they, the way they have chosen to lead. When episkopos is used, while presbyteros, this word describes the man, the word episkopos describes the ministry. It gives an overview. It means overseeing episkopos. It means to oversee. Not overbearing, not lording over, but watching over. It could also be translated in English, bishop. When you hear the word bishop, it's a, um, a man that has oversight over a section or over a group, episkopos. And then the word pastor or shepherd describes the methodology, how it's to be done. It describes how you're to feed and tend the flock. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll see these words used interchangeably, which has led to some confusion in the church today Even some groups will say, well, there's so many denominations, so the church is so fractured, and because there's so many denominations, they're all wrong, and we alone are right. That's not true. There's variety within the church. And certainly there's confusion, certainly there is uh, disagreement, but a quick look at the scriptures, you can see where you would land and how there are biblical models even if we disagree. So for example, if you're taking notes, I want you to consider within Christendom the different ways leadership is established in the church, and I'll, reveal, uh, I'll share with you how we oversee here at Calvary. First of all, there's the Presbyterian form of church government. The Presbyterian form of church government. There you have a plurality of elders ruling with co-equal authority within the church. So when you have a Presbyterian type of leadership, you have a group of men that collectively have to agree in order to go forward. Secondly, there's the Episcopal type of church leadership. 
This is where one person, the bishop, oversees many other leaders and churches throughout a specific region and gives direction in certain segments of that area, that church. Thirdly, you might have heard, and maybe you came from a congregational-led church, a congregational-led church. This is more of a church leadership style that was invented more recently that has to do with like the current political culture because with congregational-led church, everything in the church is ratified by a vote. The whole church has to vote on every single thing and nothing really moves forward with a whatever, without full approval, which varies from different churches. Sometimes it's 100%, sometimes it's 90%, but you may have come from a church where nothing ever happened until they voted, and since nobody really ever agreed on anything, nothing really ever happened. And that's a congregate, that's real more common here in the United States because of our democratic form of government. And it's just spilled into the church to say, well, if we have a democratic form of human government, then we should probably have a democratic form of church government. Then there's another model that we would call today pastor-led, a pastor-led or a leader-led. It's, it's really similar to an Episcopal form where there is a leader. And you see that example throughout the scriptures. You see Moses leading Uh, ordained of God, you see Paul leading, and then Paul saying, Timothy, I want you to lead, and telling Titus, I want you to lead, and we held to what's known as a pastor-led form of government here in our church. And this is where God raises up a man to pastor his flock, raising up spiritual leadership within a local body where there are elders, and the pastor is accountable to the elders, but God uses the pastor as a leader to lead forward in the church. And that's been the form of our government since we moved here to plant the church. To the, from the time when we were 20 or 30 people uh, attending the church to now the size uh, that ebbs and flows in our congregation today. We are a pastor-led church where the pastor and the pastors are accountable to a spiritual board of elders in our church. Now, there's another model uh, out there that that is super popular right now. I don't know what's gonna happen with this new generation. I hope it goes away completely, but you could call this the CEO business model of the church, where the church is run like a business. Now, understand any church organization, there are things behind the scenes that require business. You gotta pay your bills. You know, you gotta take care of the business side. That's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is a church that's looking for the church to be run like a business, grown like a business, expanded like a business, and there are business decisions that supersede spiritual decisions. And when wisdom is sought, it's sought from the latest business trends instead of what the word of God has to say on the matter. And it looks like and sounds like the world instead of looking countercultural. The, the, the segment of the church that made this really popular, some of you may be familiar or may not be familiar, but the, the segment of the church that's made this popular would be the segment known as the seeker-friendly church. They really started off with a CEO type of model and a business model. Really, the, the essence of the foundation of the seeker movement was to tell the pastor to go and find out what the neighborhood wants in a church and then plan a church just like that. So, so they were really, you really taught. I remember reading this book many years ago. I read it because it was popular. And, and, and really the model was, go, and, and this is how the world, the world would say, what is the, find out what the customer wants and make sure you give it to the customer. Uh, because the customer is always right. 
But how that translates into the church is, hey, go around and ask unbelievers what kind of church they want, and then maybe they'll come. The problem is, is that often the type of church that an unbeliever wants is not the church that God wants. <laughs> and so it never really gains the kind of traction. And, and over the years, you know, in the years that I've been in a ministry, I have, seen, I have seen these types of churches be used mightily of God because it often is an introduction to Christianity. It often is something that grabs our attention. They are truly born again. But because the rep repetition of the simplicity of their format and running like a business, there's really not a depth of discipleship. Or I've watched this an another way that this church has, has uh, this type of church has hurt the body of Christ is it, 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 it runs people into the ground trying to keep up with what everybody wants. And if they would just stop, maybe you're listening, you're part of a, C a CEO seeker friendly church on the radio right now. If you would just stop and ask the Lord what he wants, a big burden would be off your shoulders. Now that might mean your church is mad at you, um, but they're already mad at you. They just haven't told you yet, so don't worry about it. It's just people are people. We all go through things. There's always a frustration level among us because our problem is what? We get our eyes off the Lord, right? Any pastor that's frustrated with his church, his eyes are off the Lord. Any church that's frustrated with their pastor, and I don't mean sin, you know, I don't mean rank sin, but just frustrated, you know, I don't like that message, I don't, it's just because your eyes are not on the Lord. Because God, when our eyes are on the Lord, we move together, forward, and we make progress for the things of God. So there are varieties of ways the, the church is overseen, and I am very comfortable with the pastor-led model. And, you know, everybody has their, their criticism, especially toward the pastor-led model. But here's, here is what I've found to be true. And I, and I ask you to pray about it and pray for the churches as you drive through town. Because I find that any biblical form of church government, one that fits within the pale of, of the New Testament, different models, because I think you can find a presbytery, I think you can find an elder model. They're, they make good biblical arguments for an elder model leadership. I've seen good biblical models for an Episcopal. Haven't seen too much. There are a couple of times where the congregation takes votes, but they're always wrong in the, New, in the Bible. So, you know, you think about, uh, should we go into the promised land? There are giants in the land. 40 years of wandering. God already told them to go in. They just needed a leader to say, let's go. But then they led it to the, they led it to the group and the group freaked out and before you know it, they're wandering in the wilderness. So, so you do see some of those, but here's the thing about spiritual leadership, and I lay it before you for consideration. Any form of biblical uh, church government is not as important as the character and integrity of those entrusted with spiritual leadership. The form can take different form. I mean, the, the order of the government can take different forms within the pale of scripture. But if the wrong people are in positions of authority, it will ruin any church, and it will ruin lives. It's the character and integrity of the men and women that are in spiritual leadership. The real need is for men of character, wholly surrendered to the call of God upon their lives. And I believe God is looking for spirit, leaders who serve, but also servants who lead. It shouldn't be surprising to us that our leaders serve among us. It shouldn't be surprising to us that, that we are caring and we have a care and concern for the flock of God. It shouldn't be surprising for us to serve together with our pastors and their wives. And that, that we are the church and we should serve together. You never arrive to a position. You, the church is not like the world. And we've looked at this in different Bible studies on leadership, but the church is not like the world where you're climbing the ladder 
And like there's an entry level position. Okay, I'll, I'll go an entry level, but then I'll pay my dues and then I can move up and move up and move up. Jesus taught that the way up in God's kingdom is down. That you want to be great in God's kingdom, then what? You be the servant of all. So the greater the responsibility that's entrusted to you, what the, world in, what the world defines as going up the ladder, God says, I'm giving you more responsibility and trust for my people. You're not going up, you're going wide with the opportunity to serve more. And the Bible says that if you're faithful with the little, you'll be ruler of more. But if you're unfaithful with what you've been given, even what little you have will be taken from you and given to who? The one who has more. The unfaithful lose their responsibility, and who's it given to? The faithful. And that's a spiritual principle. So as we finish this text today, and you're taking notes, I want to give you eight characteristics, eight ingredients that will help you guide your own personal spiritual servanthood and leadership. Help you to keep your eyes on Jesus. And every single spiritual leader listening to me, every leader and servant in our church, in every church, would do well to make this a part of your spiritual life, to meditate on this section, and to memorize it. But there are eight things I want to cover today, very briefly, but eight things that are important. Number one, in verse two, he says, shepherd the flock of God. Number one, spiritual leaders are under shepherds, under shepherds. Remember here that you're to shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. He says, not by constraint, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Don't be lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock, so that when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. I want you to realize that you have one chief shepherd in the church. It's not me. It's not any pastor on staff here. It's not any of the elders or board members here. The chief shepherd, it will appear. His name is Jesus Christ. He's coming again. And the coming of the Lord is closer than it ever has been ever before in the history of mankind. He's the chief shepherd. All of us, we are under shepherds, under shepherds. We are under the authority of Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd. None of us in a real true church of God serve under our own authority. We have no authority. We are in desperate need of our chief shepherd. So that if we're given any kind of trust in the church, he's the chief shepherd. We, have, we need to remember that the church of Jesus Christ, no matter the name, belongs to him. This, this is his church, his flock, his bride. And you don't want to mess with the bride of Christ. You don't want to mess with the word of God. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. You don't want to mess with the word of God. You don't want to mess with the bride of Christ. We don't serve in our own authority, but in his you know, a lot of guys, they start out thinking that they're the shepherd and that the particular church and ministry is theirs. Their identity becomes what they do and who they are instead of looking to the chief shepherd. Remember, you are an under shepherd with your eyes on the chief shepherd. Number two, notice, he says, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, among you. Number two, spiritual leaders are sheep too. 
right? You don't graduate from being a sheep. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, I used to be a sheep. Now I'm, uh, and then you fill in the blank of your responsibility. It happens at work all the time, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, I have vivid recollections of people I used to work with. Like literally, we were, we were cube mates. We, we worked sitting next, next to each other, doing the work together, talking about work together, you know, ha- enjoying life, working hard, doing overtime. And then all of a sudden they got promoted to junior, 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 junior supervisor, and they, they, got, they got a new shirt or they gave them a hat or they could go one hour a day to go do some paperwork in the back office. And all of a sudden, they thought that they were the ruler of the known world. And they just changed because of a title. It happens in the church too, I'll tell you. Almost always, almost always when we see uh, men and women put into positions of leadership here is because of their faithful service. It's not because they asked for it. Because I'll tell you what, if you ask for it, you're not going to get it. If you have to ask for it and say, well, you know, and then I I look and go, what do you do here? I just ask for leadership. You're not going to get it. But I'll tell you what, if you serve and I watch you serve the people and not just me, all the leaders here, it's, it's just evident. It's evident in any church, but it's also evident in this church who serves and who doesn't serve. That's not a bad thing. It's just an obvious thing. It's also evident, whether you realize it or not, who serves with good motives, who doesn't serve with good motives. It's evident, you know, over the years I've had to say, sit down with someone and go, you know what, here's the issue. Some people I have to say, go home, you're here too much. And some people I wonder where they are. And which one do you think you are? Because you're the one in my office and we're talking about this right now. And so you want to remember, you're always a sheep. You never outgrow, you never not become a sheep. There's one chief shepherd, we're all sheep. And in our role as under shepherds, we have to remember sheep we serve alongside each other. Spiritual leadership doesn't place you over, but truly under as you become a servant to all. Remember, if you look at spiritual leadership or service in any church, just just replace that word with responsibility. Because that's really what it amounts to. What makes me different from you, truly? Nothing. I'm a brother. Uh, I am a brother in the Lord that was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I have a fleshly nature like you do. Uh, I have my own weaknesses. I have my own temptations. I have my own issues. You have your issues. What makes me different from you? In a very real sense, nothing. What makes me different from you? A huge thing. I'm responsible for, to God for the calling that is upon my life as pastor teacher. So while you may be responsible for three or four or 10 or 30 people in your life, I have a lot greater responsibility. I don't know how it's all gonna get sorted out. It scares me sometimes when the Bible tells me that I'm gonna stand before God and give account for my oversight of your soul. That's what the Bible says, I oversee souls. I'm not growing a church, not running a business. I have an oversight of souls. And even as Marie and I were praying earlier, she prayed, she, she said it out loud, like, and, and I'm glad that she did. It's just I take it pretty seriously. Some people may think too seriously, but I don't, because I'm the one that's going to have to answer to God, not you. And I really care about your families, and I really care about what's going on in our church, and I really want to protect this church and lead it. I really want to see your life transformed. I want to see your testimony affect other people's lives. I want you to know the truth and resist error and falsehood and false teaching. I take it seriously, you bet. My whole life, 
My whole life is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ. I have placed my whole life on the line for what I believe God says. And I want you to do the same. It may be a different responsibility. God may not call you to be pastor or teacher. It's okay. There's a lot of great places in the body of Christ. You know, a lot of people want to be a pastor or teacher until they're here, until they start doing it. And like, oh man, I'd just like to go back. But the Lord is good. He's faithful. Number, what are we? Number three. Number three, notice. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Number three, serving as overseers. You want to be a good spiritual leader? Remember, spiritual leaders are servants. And I know some of this is repetitive and simple, but the repetitive and simple get forgotten. That's why it needs to be repetitive. Spiritual leaders are servants. Jesus, our great shepherd, laid down his life for the sheep. He came not to be served, but to serve. Mark it down, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. The eternal son of God, God in human flesh, co-equal with the Father, part of the Holy Trinity, came to earth and took on a human body. He left glory and lay aside his privileges and took on a human body of which he still has today, eternally, for the sake of your life and mine and your forgiveness and mine. He came to serve us. He came not to be served. Leaders in the church ought to be the greatest servants of all, period. There is no other alternative. If you're not a servant, you might want to jot this down or just listen. If you're not a servant, you cannot lead. You may say you're leading, but you're just probably barking orders. God isn't looking for more bosses. He's looking for leaders. And when he looks for leaders, the key element in a good leader is a servant. I mean, you think about in all the places that you've worked, some of the, let's use the language just for the sake of it, some of your bosses, you remember some of them is just really good and some of them are not so good. I would just ask you to take one more step and go, man, was the boss you remember as good, relational, caring, served you, took care of you, made sure your environment was such where you could excel? And was the boss you think of, man, I'm so glad I don't work for him or her anymore, just a boss and just told you what to do but never did it with you? In the church, it's even worse because there's only one layer. There's only one place for, there's only one attribute really after a character that God is looking for and that is the place of servant. Number four, notice, he says, Serve as overseers, not by constraint, this is number four, but willingly. Spiritual leaders serve willingly. Here's when many people falter. They begin to serve unwillingly. Well, so, so I, I would just say that when I say begin, they start out willingly. So they start out, yes, I'm ready. Yes, I want to do it. It's such a privilege, such an honor. I believe this is God's will for my life. And then somewhere along the way, they begin to serve unwillingly. They begin to serve with a grudge. They become complainers about the very people that God has called them to serve. They begin to speak down on their responsibility. They begin to, be a high, they begin to highlight everyone else's faults while their glaring fault of complaining and murmuring is evident. That's not how they started. How they started was, yes, 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 what do you want me to do? Here I am, I want to serve. And then over time, they become very comfortable and they don't serve willingly. If you're serving in any ministry in this church here at Calvary and you're beginning to feel tired or burned out, I'm telling you right now, take a break. Step away. Step down. 
so that you can begin to gain clarity again that the Lord might raise you back up again. It's better for you just to take a break. Oh, no, Ed, you don't know. If I take a break, everything will fall apart. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it's better that you don't hurt the flock. It's better that your heart doesn't get all hard. There's a calling and gifting upon your life. Let the Lord raise you up. Let him use you, but don't serve unwillingly. Don't serve with a grudge. You know, just like the Bible says, right? The Bible says that when you give of your tithes and offerings, you're what? You're to give willingly. Nobody can tell you. No church, no organization can command you to give. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians that when we give unto God, we give willingly. We're not gonna check your W4 or W2. We're not gonna go to your house and make you fill out. Like, you gotta give willingly. If you can't give willingly, don't give. And deal with the consequences of your battle, nasty heart. And he will. God will deal with you. He'll go, you know, well, I don't have to give. That church this, and I don't have to give. And then your car's always breaking down. Why don't you try giving? Why don't you try saying, Lord, I'm going to honor you first. We're not going to spend any time making you do anything. You don't want to give? Don't give. You know what? We'll serve you the same. We'll serve you the same. We'll, take you. we'll do what God's called us to do because that's what God's called us to do. But then that's the pattern, isn't it, in your life for you to do what God's called you to do. Same with serving. It's another, don't do it by constraint. Nobody's gonna make you serve. That's like, you know, uh, you, you, even on Wednesday, Wednesday, midweek's a hard place to go, right? And you're like, oh, I made a commitment. Oh, I gotta go. But, but, but honey, you should go with the joy. Yeah, but I have made a commitment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go serve those people. Because if I don't do it, nobody will do it. Just stay home, man. We'll figure it out without you. Just stay home. We don't need that angry, upset, and as I said earlier, I mean, at the end of the day, God can do all of this without us, and we'll figure it out. It's better that you not serve with a grudge so that people don't get hurt. You, think, you really think that's not going to spill over, and you know, you're going to be all upset, and then there's going to be somebody in front of you that you're, you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to miss them. And I believe we'll be held accountable for all those times where we miss people. Don't hurt people. Notice, uh, before we get to number five, uh, l- let me read to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher from the 1800s. I love what he says. When he was teaching young students in his pastor school about ministry, he said this. This is a small little uh, paragraph. I would encourage you, if this stuff interests you, uh, get volume one of Spurgeon's lectures to my students. That's on our discipleship reading list, volume one. There's many volumes, but volume one is the best. And this is the beginning stage of all the lectures he gave to his students. Uh, Here's one paragraph from lecture number one, I believe it was, and I quote, if any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor or a grocer or a farmer or a doctor or a lawyer or a senator or a king, in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. We must feel that woe is unto me if we preach not the gospel. The word of God must be unto as a fire in our bones. Otherwise, if we undertake the ministry, we shall be unhappy in it, shall be unable to bear the self-denials incident to it, and shall be of little service to those among whom we minister." End quote. And basically what he's saying is, man, if you ever feel like you have to do this, go do what you really want to do. Don't stay in a position, pastors, 
Lay pastors, paid pastors, leaders, don't, don't stay in a position because you think you have to. Stay in a position because you want to. That's the best place to serve. Because if you can do something else with your time and you want to do something else, then go do something else because you need to be on your game. Ministry's hard and challenging and it's always cutting in on our lives and it's always teaching us. You know, we think we're serving for others, but you know what? Here's the secret, you ready? It's a secret that's not quite a secret. When you seek to serve others, God uses your ministry to disciple you, to cut off the rudge. You're dealing with somebody, oh, this guy has rough edges. Guess who really has the rough edges? And what God's really wanting to do, polishing your life and forming and fashioning you like he did with Jeremiah. Remember, he went to that potter and he saw the wheel with the clay and the potter just fashioning and molding the clay. As you get to serve and be a tool in other people's lives to disciple them and polish them, God is using them in your life to polish you. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's free. Discipleship is free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to give anybody any money for it. Just get involved in people's lives and the Lord will use those lives to help you grow in grace. He's so good and gracious to us. And so you just want to serve willingly. Number five, notice, he says, not by constraint, but willingly. We're still in verse two. But not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. This is an important one. Number five, spiritual leaders serve honestly. This is where integrity and character come, right? Honestly. Honestly. Listen, don't get into leadership. Don't expect in this church to be in spiritual leadership or a place of servanthood to rip God's people off. The people of Calvary Church, they are not available for you to rip off. So don't even think about it. Don't come into this church thinking you can sell something, do something, make money off of people here. The people of God are not for sale, ever. Whether it's here in this church under our leadership or anywhere else. But I would also say to a position of spiritual leadership, don't, don't, don't try to take advantage of people and their vulnerability. Don't take advantage of people for their position in this world or the money they might have. You know, it makes, it makes me sick to my stomach watching so-called Christian TV and how they take advantage. I think back to the latter years of my mom. You know, she's alone. My dad had passed away, and she's alone in her house watching Christian TV and infomercials. And when we were cleaning out her house, we saw evidence of that and how vulnerable she was. And you know, the ministry is a great place of position and, and strength in someone's life, but it's not a place to rip people off. Once again, knowing that pastors and leaders from other churches are listening to the radio right now, wherever they might be around the country, even around the world, stop ripping people off in Jesus' name. It is a sin. You will be judged by it. And I don't, I don't even know what level of judgment that's in, but don't you steal people. You don't steal money from people. You don't steal innocence from people. You don't teach people false doctrine. We take care of people and serve them with our lives. And that's why, hey, don't, don't get into ministry for dishonest gain. That is a disobedient decision. The ministry is not a place to fleece the flock. It's a place to feed them and care for them and serve them and support them. That's why we're very careful who we allow access to this church. We're hyper, hyper, hyper careful who we allow in leadership. We want to get to know you. We want to see your character and integrity proven. We want to see that you have a love for this church. We don't give away 
physicians. We'd rather, if we don't have a leader for a ministry, the ministry stops until we have a leader. We don't just subject people to anybody. Oh, we have all these needs. No, we, we don't. Unless God raises up one, we're going to wait till he does, which can be hard and difficult at times, but we're going to wait. We're going to wait on the Lord. He's always been faithful. Why would he be unfaithful now? He's faithful. And he will prepare, right now, he's preparing the next wave of ministry and ministers in our church. It's a very exciting time, especially when we get into the book of Acts. Right, right now, God is ministering. He is preparing people right now listening to me to serve in this church. Some of you are like, yes, Lord, that, that resonates with my heart. And some of you go, oh, I don't think I want to do that. All right, that's okay. Either one, either answer is okay. God will raise you up when you're ready. But now you're accountable for what you've heard. And it's so encouraging and exciting. Don't jump into ministry. Don't serve in this church uh, or any church for that matter to take advantage of others. Number six, verse three. When a spiritual leader, don't serve as Lord, as being Lord over those entrusted to you. There's that word entrusted again. Stewardship, sacred trust. This is something that is a privilege. It's not a right. It's not an expectation. It's a privilege. And number six, spiritual leaders serve humbly. Humbly. It is a prideful man and a prideful woman that lords over and tries to control people's lives. Where you are unable to have the freedom that is yours in Christ. Don't get into spiritual leadership because you want to boss people around. This isn't the right place. And I've met many who have seen spiritual leadership as a place to control and to have some kind of power over people's lives. Don't do it. Not here. You're not to lord it over. Notice number seven now, but be an example to the flock. So number seven, spiritual leaders are to serve as, well, stewards. That word entrusted, I want to pause there for a second because we've used it, but here it is. Spiritual leaders, number seven, serve as stewards. Sacred trust. It's a privilege, an honor. Not deserved. It's not some ministry we're building here. We're not building a church We're not some mega church or mega this or mega that. We are serving the souls of men and women, boys and girls, and babies in the womb. And that's our responsibility. We're not trying to build something, make something. We're just responding to what God has for us. And and the ministry that's to flow through us should be just as much if it's one-on-one or it's one-on-10,000. Because God cares for every person one-on-one, period. And it's not the numbers. Don't be impressed by numbers. Don't be discouraged by numbers. Just keep your eyes on the Lord. That's important. It's like some of you are like, man, do pastors really deal with that? All the time. All the time. Pastors are, yeah, in, some, in some places, pastors are only concerned about how many people come to their church, how big is their budget, and how big is their building. And you just got to disciple guys away from that because none of those things matter. A church can meet under a tree with a few people and no money, and the Lord will be honored and blessed and encouraged. Why? Because Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there right there in the midst. And he doesn't measure that way. And even resources like money, even resources like building, you just got to remember them like in whatever your trade is, whatever you do for a living, you just got to remember it's just a tool. That's all it is. It's just a tool. And you want to have the appropriate tools for what God's doing. Uh, what you want to do for your job. So a building is a great tool, but you don't need it. You can do things without, with, without a building. You can minister without. So remember, stewardship, stewardship. You're not building a ministry or a sub-ministry. You certainly don't want to be in church 
in a place of servanthood and then draw people after yourself and become an Absalom. You don't want to build a little ministry within a ministry, a little kingdom within a kingdom. That's why one of our core values here, and I think it's a core value for the church, it's not like anything we invented, is like-mindedness, where we are together. Like, like one of our other core values, one of our axioms is we lock shields together. We're in this together. I'm not to build on you and you're not to build on me. We are to follow the Lord to reach this city with the gospel. That's our mandate and to disciple people in the Lord. Number eight, number eight, the last one was spiritual leaders are to be examples. And that's important that you recognize that you are an example. Everyone listening to me right now is an example. The difference is we're either good examples or bad examples, but we're all examples. And here we are to serve. It is mandated in the midst of trial difficulty, in the midst of great opposition, in the midst of government oppression, be an example. And your example is very important. You're either gonna, by your example, lead people to the Lord or by your example, lead them away. There's no third option. And we need to serve as examples. In the house of God, among the leaders in any church, we have godly men and women that we can see as examples. So you not only want to be an example, but you want to have an example in your life. Where you, your life should be looked at, not a perfect life, but as a life you can model. You can be modeled after. And so that's where you have those relationships in the scripture, right? You have the relationship with Jesus and his disciples, where the disciples could look to him as a model. I mean, that's an obvious thing with Jesus, but Jesus came as an example for us so we could follow him. And his disciples, his followers would then be examples. And then you have that relationship with Paul and Timothy. And then Paul was an example to Timothy, but then he's also telling Timothy, you be an example. Now Peter, another disciple, follower, you guys be examples. That's how important it is. The world is watching, the church is watching, and we want to be good examples. Leaders are not perfect. They're not perfect in this church. But leaders, spiritual leaders, are living in unity and fellowship with Jesus, and it's evident that Jesus is in their life. You could even say it's evident that Jesus is their life. But because we're examples, that's why it's so serious and why it's so painful when a pastor or an elder or an overseer chooses to willfully sin and disqualify himself from ministry. That's why it hurts. That's why you're always shocked by it. (laughs) Why you're like, no way. I never thought that would happen. Because the enemy of our souls knows that if he can get someone prominent, the principle in the Bible, right? If you strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Well, he tried striking the chief shepherd and that didn't work. So he goes after all the under shepherds. And so you see a, a pastor that you looked up to, you, you listened to, watched on YouTube, you re- listened to their music, and then you find out they've been living in adultery all these years. It hurts and probably makes you mad too. I, I get mad when I read of that. I get mad for a couple of reasons. First of all, I get mad at the devil for destroying a life. I get mad at the devil for now causing confusion in the church. I get mad at the guy for letting his guard down. I get mad at the situation. I mean, but also, my, that's not my predominant emotion, though. My predominant emotion is sadness. I'm sad. Because we don't hear about all of them, but the ones we do hear about prominent guys, man, that had impact on many, many people. And it's just sad because God was using them. People were getting saved. Lives were changed. 
Even our own little family of churches, there's some real prominent guys that I looked up to and it just bummed me out, man. I grieve over them. They're still not in ministry. They destroyed just about everything. But there's still hope. God can restore and God can do a work in their lives. And then number nine, I know I said eight, but I want to share number nine in verse four. I just want to make this statement before we leave. Spiritual leadership is rewarding. Notice the reward is when the chief shepherd appears, we're going to receive the crown of glory. <laughs> I know you're not to, to serve like to get the crown, but you're serving and you're going to get the crown. God is going to give you the crown of glory for your faithful service unto him. Even with all our faults and failures. I love that. When the chief shepherd appears, all of us that served him will get this crown. There's a lot of different crowns mentioned in the Bible. We looked at that in a different study. But here, those that choose to serve get the crown of glory. And of course, you know, whenever the rewards, where we speak about rewards in the Bible, we're all going to cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus anyway. But at least you get to taste the glory. <laughs> Just for a moment in the presence of the Lord. It's going to be so good. It's worth it. I know it's hard. I know it's challenging. I know it's tiring. I know it's exhausting, but it's worth it. The Lord is coming back. He's going to reward you for your faithful service. You may never see it now. You might be growing weary and well-doing right now, but listen, the Bible says, don't grow weary and well-doing. For in due season, you shall reap. What? If you don't lose heart. And so you just know you're going to lose heart, man. It's going to be hard. The world's getting harder and more difficult. Serving in the church is hard. Serving people is hard, but the Lord is in the midst of it. It's one of the most rewarding things that you can do is to answer the call of God in your life. So just by way of review, under shepherds, spiritual leaders are under shepherds, sheep, servants, they serve willingly, honestly, humbly, as stewards, as examples, that was number eight, and number nine, spiritual leadership is rewarding. And all this comes, remember, from Peter the pastor. And don't you think he would know don't you think Peter would know of which he speaks? The man that denied Jesus three times. The man that thought he lost it all. The man that was there somehow locking eyes with Jesus in John's gospel and restored into ministry. What was he told in John 21? Feed, tend, feed my flock. He knows. And he's developed what Jesus taught him. The Holy Spirit inspired him to develop it a little bit. What does it mean to feed? What does it mean to tend? What does it mean? Well, he begins to share it here. It's a good thing. So Father, we thank you for the privilege of serving you and, and just being available to you. And it's a, it's, a, it's a mouthful tonight, Lord, a little bit longer than normal, but so good. Just so good to, to, to think that in the short time we're on the earth, we have the privilege of serving you. The sacred trust of laying our lives down before you and just grateful that you would allow us and entrust us with your people that you bought with your own blood and that we get to lead them and guide them and serve them and help them and encourage them and teach them and listen to them and pray for them, be at their bedside in the hospital, be at a memorial, celebrate a, a, a good occasion, whatever it might be, Lord. You give us the privilege as you lead us and guide us to serve your people and I pray that we would be faithful, be found faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. 
That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.